Hello and welcome to another episode of Crew, the podcast. Throughout the whole pandemic, the entertainment industry has been hit quite hard, like TV and film shut down. Thankfully, are back up and running, not at full capacity, but shows are being made, films are being made. Unfortunately, that cannot be said for our lovely theatres. They shut down and still to this day, no one knows when we'll be able to go back and watch the musical theatre, back to the West End. So obviously with the announcement that we're going back into lockdown, there's even more worry into when this might happen. So this week I am joined by Dawn Buckland. Dawn is a musical theatre actor. She's a choreographer. She's done directing in the musical theatre world. Uh, She's basically spent her life on stage. She's been on TV, she's been in film, but her real passion is on that stage, on that musical theatre stage. So it was great to talk to her a couple of weeks back, obviously before the announcement got made, but still hard times for the theatre industry at the moment. So the hashtag Save the Arts is a great campaign and it was great to talk to Dawn and to try and, you know, get some insight into what actually happens at musical theatre, a more happier time before everything went into lockdown. But it was just great to chat to her, find out what she thinks about everything. But more importantly, for me as a huge musical theatre fan and someone who loves the West End, just to find out all the goss to what happens behind the scenes. So I hope you enjoy it. This is Dawn Buckland. So if you had to pick, what would be your best musical of all time? Um, I think personally, my personal favorite is Jesus Christ Superstar. I, yeah, I just think it's, I think it's written brilliantly. I think just the whole vibe of the music. I love a bit of rock. Um, and, and I, I, it just so uplifting. I find the music so uplifting. I've not been in it. I'd love to be in it. <laughs> it's just one of those shows that I just, it's the only CD to a musical I ha- actually have in my car. Oh, that's cool. Mm, it's actually the only the only soundtrack I have in my car. I mean, obviously now with things like Spotify, you can have what you like. But with but regards, if you were to in it, you'd already yeah. know all the words. I do know all the words. I defy anyone to challenge me on them. <laughs> <laughs> so obviously, musical theatre is obviously where you work predominantly. But what? Where, where did it all start for you? Like, where was? Where so, did you go? Where did you train? Um, so it all started for me. I I ice skated as a kid. And I know it sounds really a random route in, but I uh, and my the guy who was training me at the time, I, I trained to quite a high level, um, and he said, "I think you just need to go and get some dance classes just to kind of help with your line and um, and just you know just a bit more stage presence because I, I even though I was technically quite good, I was a little bit little bit shy." And um, so I found a local dance school. A couple of the kids near my mum's like went to this little dance school and they were like, look, come and do some classes there. And I literally, I, it was almost like my eyes had been opened. I found, I found dance and the, one of the brilliant dance teacher who to this day I still am very good friends with. And um, so that was kind of my route in really. And I dropped ice skating like a, like a ton of bricks. I didn't kind of look back really. Um, a dance was like my new love and that's what I wanted to do and then we were in <laughs> in the Isle of Wight um, at a holiday camp one Christmas and my mum went go on get up and do a, something for the talent show <laughs> so I was like okay so I, thankfully I bought my tap shoes with me <laughs> as you do um, and I got up and did a bit of a, a little bit of a number and for the talent contest and there was someone in the audience that whose children travelled every Saturday from the Isle of Wight 
to go to central London to the Sylvia Young Theatre School to go and do the Saturday school. And they used to take them on the ferry every Saturday. And she said, oh, you know, you live in London, you, your daughter should, you should look into it. And so, I, and so when we got back, my mum was like, right, I'm going to, let's, let's look into it. Let's see what, you know, what it's all about. And I started going on the Saturday in conjunction with my other um, dance classes that I was doing in the week. And then Sylvia Young eventually approached my mum and said, look, we think Dawn's really good. Would you be able to afford to send her to a full-time school? Um, which the answer was kind of swiftly no, because you know, my dad was a tyre fitter, a car fitter, like a motor fitter, motor mechanic. My mum worked for the NHS in the switchboard. And, and it was just like, there's no way we can afford that. But she's, you know, she kind of sold it, said, you know, well, I think Dawn would be great, a great addition to the school. And, and my mum and dad, how they did it, I have no idea. Scraped together the pennies and, and from 12 till 15 and three quarters or whatever it was, I I went to Sylvia and Theatre School. And that's all just because of, of a dance you did at a holiday camp? Well, yeah, lit- literally. Um, so, so amazing. Yeah, it was just such a, so not a random route in really, but it was just a chain of events that just kind of led to me then going to do some, I suppose, formal training really. Since you got the like the dancing bug, obviously when you stopped ice skating, was it was it always musical theatre? Was it was it mm. not really for you then? Was it just about the dancing? Uh, for me then, at the time, it was just about the dancing, and it wasn't until I went to Sylvia's that um, I suddenly realised that if I wanted to kind of compete in the industry, oh, I had to learn to sing, <laughs> and I had to learn to you know stand up and deliver some text. Um, and that that was my that was my training ground there really because up until that point I've I literally just danced so potentially I could have gone down the commercial dance route I suppose and been a commercial dancer and toured with uh, I don't know Take That or PJ and Duncan you know Ant and Deck at the time you know I suppose I could have gone down that route if I just wanted to dance but um, I kind of started to get the bug and I wanted to learn more I mean don't get me wrong it was. It was like hell for me opening my mouth to sing at first. I, I, I hated the fact that I would have to have stood up and made a noise. But you know, the more I was there, the more confidence I got, and um, and I came out with uh, a voice that was usable, I suppose. I mean, yeah. I've heard your voice. It's a bit more than usable. I mean, oh, but, it does the job. But <laughs> yeah, well, that that's your words. I've I've. Oh, I'm blushing. Um, what did you ever actually do any of the backup dancing? I'd love to see you in an old video with like oh. PJ and Duncan. You know what I did back in the day? Actually, when we were in, when I was at Sylvia Youngs, we used to do, we used to always get invited along to like Royal Variety shows and stuff. So I, we did dance with um, uh, who was on that bill that year? So it was like Kylie and Jason and um, the Reynolds girls with the classic track called "I'd Rather Jack." Uh, which look up, guys. It's it's a classic. Um, <laughs> I'm gonna. It's the first thing I'm yeah, gonna do. I'd rather Jack, um, the Reynolds girls. Yeah, please look out for it. Um, and and so we we kind of did the you know top the bill with all these kind of celebrities on on stuff like that on more variety performances. So yeah, so I did do my did do my little bit of um my little bit of backup dancing then as such. Was that like the first time you were on on like a big stage in front of a big crowd? Really? Oh, like obviously you did your holiday camp dancing, but like. <laughs> Yeah, bless me. Um, yeah, I know I'd done a couple of pantomimes, um, like my local theatre, which was called the Peckham Civic Centre at the time, and which is no longer there, um, and Catford Town Hall Theatre, where the Catford Theatre, which is still there and still thriving quite well. Um, but yeah, so I'd done a couple of little 
like pantomimes who have great people in them, like the team from Heidi High and Lorraine Chase. And so they have good people in them. Um, but with regards to kind of stepping into a really professional, I don't know, it felt more professional for me once I kind of got that little bit older and I was suddenly, you know, I felt like this could be my living. You know. So then you're, you're at that point now where like you've got, this is what I can do. This is my life. This is where I can, you know, make a career. What um mm. what what's that next step? So where did you go from there? So from there, I mean, thankfully, Sylvia Young's is also an agent. So they they I was working as a kid, so I'd like bob off and do like a couple of days on EastEnders, just being like a kid in the market. Or I'd do a couple of um you know we'd do a little concert at, or, um somewhere and, and be I say like back in dances for people, or we'd be like the guest artist, Sylvia Young Theatre kids from the Sylvia Young Theatre School, yay! And we'd all run on and do something crazy and then go. So, so I was, I felt like I've always worked because I was, I was able to work as a kid, which the school really, really encouraged. I'm not sure what the regulation on that now, but back in the day, you were allowed to do that. Um, so they had their agency. And then when you left school, if you wanted to, um, so we left at 15 and three quarters, then you didn't have to go on to further education if you didn't want to. And they started saying, you know, now do you want to start auditioning for, for shows you know you've, you've kind of done your training you've earned your junior equity card which it was at the time and um, do you want to go on and, and and you know audition so um i i had kind of a backup plan which was i'd auditioned for london studio center which was a dance college um that was kind of my backup plan um but i was like you know what i really just want to do it i just want to do it so i said yeah i'd, I'd like to be seen for stuff and then my first two auditions were as an audition for 42nd Street, the UK tour, and the second, and then my, then the other one was Starlight Express in London. Well, I'd always been kind of a fan of being on skates because of my ice skating past, and I'd roller skated as a kid, and you know, not to a to a standard, but you know, I'd put them on and skate around the block a couple of times. That'll do. Um, so you know, so I I got myself out there, and lo and behold, I got offered at the right young old age of 16. I got offered both jobs. Oh, wow. That's good. <laughs> which, which was ridiculous. Um, and because I was only 16, I was like, oh, my God, do I want to go away and do a, a national tour? I don't want to go away from my mum's. I'm, you know, I'm only 16. So thankfully, my mum and dad only live in Camberwell Green, which is just the other side of Vauxhall Bridge. So literally, it was like one bus and I could be at Victoria. So yeah. I chose to do Starlight Express. I, I took that job. I remember going to see Starlight. So I, I used to roller skate as a kid. I used to play hockey, uh, mm. and like I, I went everywhere. Like, everyone like had a bike. I had skates. So, <laughs> um, and I'm a big fan of the musical theatre. So Starlight Express was just, as a kid, was so much fun. Mm. Like, yeah, the fact that they were all around you for the whole, like they'd skate yeah. around you, and like, it was, it was such a good show. That must yeah. have been just, just to start with as the first off. That must have been amazing. Yeah, I, I mean, I just couldn't believe my luck. I was, and, I, and with that kind of youthful arrogance, confidence that I kind of had then, I wouldn't say arrogance, I was just confident. I just thought my world was my oyster and you look out and go, that's what I want to do. I, I did the audition, which in, again, back then, you used to have to audition on your roller skates. So some people were just dancers, some people were just really predominantly just singers. Um, so I, I auditioned on my roller skates. And I roller skate all the way home from Victoria to Camberwell to back to my mum's because I was like so I was so elated and I was like I'm going to get that. I went straight in the door. I went yeah I'm going to get that job, and I did. You know, but I don't know whether that was just because I completely put that out there. 
I wish I had a bit of that now. <laughs> yeah, being 16, you, you, you're full of it. I was literally full of it. I was like, yeah, I'll get that job. Yeah, I fancy that. That'd be good. And I did, and I did get it. And then I actually did the show for 10 years. Who did you play? Everybody. Oh, wow. So you moved around. <laughs> I literally moved around. So the first job I went in to do was a job called a swing, which for people that don't know what a swing is, you basically are... You don't. You're not on stage every night. Um, you you are backstage, and if someone injures himself or is on holiday, or you know, car broke down and they didn't make it into work, or whatever the case was, you step into that role and play that role. And it's normally that's the swing kind of uh, the squid. The swing role is predominantly for the ensemble parts, whereas something like Starlight, where all the parts are really, you know, it's an ensemble piece. There's lots of characters. So, um, yeah, so I, so I went in as a swing, so I covered like four or five roles. Um, and then as the time went on and I was in there, you know, I got to play Pearl the lead and I got to play Dinah and the old lady Belle. And I, I, I just got to play them all. I even got to play a couple of the male characters. Oh, really? Do you get, yeah. do you get um, a heads up about that? Like, do you, surely you don't have to learn every single character's line. No, you have to learn every single, you have to learn everything. That's tough, because like, as, as mm. I know it, mm. that, that must be really tough, because as an understudy, you have to learn, like if you're Rusty, you only learn Rusty's part. So as a swing, you don't know where you're going. Like every night, you could be someone yeah. different. Yeah, that's that's quite true. Um, you literally could. I, there was actually one performance where I I actually played four roles in one show i started out yeah i started out as one like a small role we used to have marshals on the show so a marshal would skate round at the top you know i think you probably would see them they they were all just in black with like yellow and orange kind of flags and stuff and start the races and, and then oh, yeah, yeah, finish yeah. The show. so and what basically we had marshal duty so the swings would have to step in and be the marshals like and we'd have like a rotor who would go marshal tonight so I started off as a, I wrote a, a marshal, and then in one of the races there was a massive crash. So every like, like loads of people fell down. Um, it was a big collision, which did obviously didn't um, mean meant, mean to happen. No, which didn't mean to happen. It was it was you know completely unstaged. Someone I don't know someone's um, truck had broke on their skate and they tripped, and then someone else had fallen. It was always a risk on a show like that. And so two the two girls that were the two carriages both were like injured. One said, "Look, I'm, I can carry on," but they said, "Dawn, you're going to have to go on for it's a, like a smaller role, a role called wrench. You're going to have to go on for her." So I literally had to get out of my martial stuff, get changed, get ready for wrench, and then go on and perform the the first act as her. And then we got into the second act and the girl that was playing Ashley, which was also the other carriage that got her in the collision. Um, for those of you who don't know, Starlight is about trains and, and, uh, and their carriages, but their girlfriends. Um, and, and she also got injured and then she was like, I, I can't carry on. I can't do act two. Um, and we were really low on people that, that day for some reason. And there's normally five girl swings. So we all like were just all, you know, pitch in where we could kind of thing. But there was, for some reason, there was a lot of absences that day, whether there'd been a big flu or something, I don't know. And um, so they said, oh, you're going to have to now go on for act two as Ashley. So I then had to get out of wrench, which is, it's everything. It's like wig change, makeup change. They even have to spray your skates a different colour. 
I mean, literally, they're in like in backstage, like spraying your skates, <laughs> you know, while you're stood there waiting to go, waiting to go on while someone's pinning a wig whilst you're butt naked in front of the sound engineer while they're shoving a new mic pack down your pants. You know, I mean, it's not glamorous. It's really not. I mean, they've had some of the best views or not, as the case may be. Um, so then, yeah, then I had to do the second act, first half of the second act as Ashley. And then by the end of the show, the girl that was playing Pearl, which has the big number at the very end of the show, um, decided that her voice was sore and she couldn't go on. So then I changed from Ashley and did finish the show as Pearl. So I literally had <laughs> four roles in one show, which was insane. But I had, I just had that brain. I think it takes a real certain type of performer, I think, to swing and to understudy. You know, you've just got that brain where you can just flip the disc, you know, and, and, and do it. Turn it on when needed. Just turn it on when needed. I mean, don't get me wrong, a swing is nobody without a really good swing file. We call it the Bible. So, you know, you oh, have... What, sorry? A swing a, file? A swing, a swing file. Right. So okay. like a file that you would have. But like it's your Bible, you know, so it would have like all the moves, who does what, you know, where you're going. And I would have like a page for every character so that I could just quick flick to it and go, OK, so I'm there. I'm behind that person. I'm there at that point. You know, so just so it's literally a quick, a quick fire. But it does still take a certain type of brain, I think, to, to get your head around all that. I didn't even know that existed. Like that's such a, <laughs> such a strange. Cause yeah. As, a, like, as an audience member, do you think anyone noticed? Do you think anyone was like, that girl looks familiar. Or do you yeah. think with costumes, with makeup, with wigs, no one would ever really know what's going on? Yeah. I think on a show like Starlight where it's, it's you know, you're, you've got so much makeup on, so much, um, so much the wigs are so big and, and you people probably didn't really notice um, as much. I'm sure there's some that did. But, you know, on a, on a show maybe like Mamma Mia where – you know donna's blonde in the first half and then she's a brunette in the second half and in that case they would announce it to the audience and say due to the indisposition of la 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 the second half of donna will be played by so they would let the audience know that you know there's been something go on and that someone's going to be placed in fact too if it happens in the middle of the show um, if it doesn't happen in the in the middle of a show and it's just that there's an understudy on that evening, they just slip the program or they'd yeah. um, put it front of house to say that um, this, this, someone this someone different tonight. Yeah. What I what I do want to know something that obviously from a television background is something we don't not from like from a behind the scenes point of view we don't really have. Mm. Like I go I get a phone call and it's what's your availability? Are you around? Do you want this job? Well, I mean that's basically sometimes I go in and chat to a director or. Yeah. or someone but but the audition process to me um from working because you obviously now you we'll talk about it in a bit but you've obviously you know choreograph like mm. you work behind the scenes as well as obviously in front of the camera mm. when you were 16 for Starlight Express for example how was that going into audition what, what what's that process like is it, is it really quite daunting yeah you know it's a funny one because it's something that I thought as I get older and 48 now and I'm a mum and I've you know, and I've achieved lots of kind of things in my life. You you would kind of go, it gets easier. Well, it don't. <laughs> it doesn't get any easier. You kind of go, you're still as nervous. You still, um, you know, you still want people to like you. You still want to go in and do a good job. You still want to um do the piece justice. Um, and what we have to realise is that we're not always right for everything. You just can't be. You know, it's 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 impossible. 
um, and you grow a thick skin over the years for the rejections. Um, but it never, it still doesn't make the process any easier in a way. You know, you still kind of go in and go, oh God, I'm still, so, I've got, why am I so nervous? I've been doing this for like 104 years. I should just be able to walk in and go, hey, this is my skills. And I think it's because you're always putting, it's always a part of you. You're always, you're always putting yourself in the firing line as such to be critiqued or to be, um, you know, to have your talents commented on or, or, um, but I think being on the other side of it, everyone that comes into audition for me, if I'm, if I'm auditioning for something, I just want them to be the best them that they can be. And, and for some reason, I find that hat really hard to change over. Um, cause I should know that as being on the other side that we, we just want, we just want brilliant people to come in and have a nice time and have a good experience of the audition process. But you kind of forget that when you're up against it and you've got like three songs to learn and, and a page of dialogue and, um, you know, so you've had quite a lot of prep leading up to it. And, and you always try and think of what you think they want what the people auditioning want rather than actually just going in and going this is what I would do with it and I think we we always forget that you try and crowbar yourself into yes I could be six foot four yeah. if you want me to be six foot four even though I'm only five foot four but you know today I can put on a really big shoe and you know and, and we forget that we're, there's a place for all of us and I think we we often forget as performers that um there is that well it's happened a lot like in films and stuff that's made headlines and things where people have gone in to read for one part and they've gone look you're not fit for this but you would be brilliant at this part and stuff like that so it i think like as you say there's there is a role for everyone but for me the reason i think you still get nervous to about is i feel the same when i when i get a phone call originally about a job it's very similar it's because it's because you love it it's because you care yeah like if you if you didn't enjoy your job if you didn't love getting on stage love a group of people in front of you and you're choreographing mm. and everyone's it's just like the timing is perfect if you yeah. sit there and go i love this this is phenomenal then you're in the wrong job and i've said this Absolutely. a lot on this podcast mm. um, about people who do what we do and work in our industry do what yeah. we do because they love it yeah you can't help it I, I i don't think anyone would would choose to be in this industry unless you absolutely you know there's many times i've sat down i think and gone what else can I do? What else would would give me the you know the job satisfaction, the um, the buzz, the you know that this job gives? And and I just look and go, oh, I struggle every time. To I can't I can't think of anything that I would rather be doing. You've got one child, haven't you? Yeah, I've got yeah, one child. And you're yeah. married, and your husband works in the industry. He's also yeah. like an actor. Yeah. Do you, do you think like I mean, if you didn't love it? It can't be easy to have two professional theatre actors uh, mm. with a child in in kind of you know you're travelling a lot, you're working a lot, you're working long hours. Like, yeah. If you would find anything else that made you as happy to do what you currently do, surely you yeah. would have found it. Yeah, you'd do it. You'd absolutely do it. Um, I, I mean, and and for Mark and I, you know, we've we've kind of in a weird way by having a child in in this industry. For us personally, I think for, for the way we've wanted to parent and we've we've wanted to be there, we've wanted one, at least one of us to be there. So we've kind of shared a career 
I know that sounds really weird, but like, so Mark could do a contract for a couple of years and then I'll kind of go, hang on a minute. I'm getting really itchy feet. I need to do, I need to do something. You know, I need to, I need to go into a show now. And then we'll, um, and then I'll start audition, auditioning and, and hopefully get something. Um, you know, so, so it, it's been good in that respect. We, we've just kind of piggybacked. We've just kind of tandem our, our career. But in saying that, it, it almost can be detrimental as well because you find you have to go back to the beginning again because momentum you lose momentum if you're out of you know out of sight out of mind a little bit um so you kind of find yourself feeling like you're going back to the beginning and but yet you look at your work history and I've got 30 years you know theater behind me so I shouldn't feel like that but it, it does you know it's it's a very it can be a very fickle industry like that it can be very much you know outside out of mind you know, there's always someone to replace your type. Oh, always. Always. Always someone that's got your skill set that, you know, um, to, to replace your type. And and I think Mark and I found that over the years, unless you keep momentum and keep you as your type in the in the eye of everybody, it's very easy to for it to get lost. But, I think um, as well, like you said about the auditioning process, is you want people to like you. And I think, mm. I think your personality... Like you, you well, you have a great personality, but generally across the board, <laughs> that to me is quite a key factor because oh yeah, you can be, and I think I've said this previously on this podcast, but you can be the nicest, no, you can be the nicest, most amazing person at your job and be brilliant and lovely, and then take a year off, but you'll never be forgotten because yeah. because of who you are, people like to work with you. Yeah, you're, you can be a, the best in the world at your role. But if you're an arsehole, yeah. then, then, then yeah. people aren't always going to work with you. And I think, like you say, with having the itchy feet, I wanted to come back and start yeah. again. The reason I think you've met, you and Mark have made it work is mm. because you've got that reputation that, oh, it's Dawn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's yeah. Uh, no, I think you're right, actually, because I, I do. And people people do, you know, are glad when you're back in the frame again, in a way. Um, so uh, yeah, so even though I do, you know, it's kind of slightly contradictory to say, you know, they do replace your type. But I've been Mark. I've both been really lucky. You know, we've we've kept it. We've kept good relationships with people we worked with, and it does go a long way. People do remember you. Um, but that's that's exactly like I did Mamma Mia in in London for. Um, I did two contracts. So I did two years because you generally get a year's contract. And then because of my contacts through that, um, I was able to do the Mamma Mia film, the second film. Yeah, I was going to bring yeah. up this. So well, let's 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 start at let's start at the West End. So you started in the West yeah, End. Yeah, yeah. So you started in the West End. So how how quickly after like Starlight Express was that was that? Oh goodness! Oh, that was a long time after. Um, so between between Starlight and Mamma Mia, I'd done various various other things um, job wise. So I, I did ten years on Starlight. Um, I did a, a small production called uh, a, a production called Pippin. Um, it was then at the Bridewell Theatre, which was an old swimming baths randomly, which was brilliant because we had managed to have all these trap doors and you were you could come up from underneath, but it was the you were actually in the swimming pool, so the brilliant. the floor was on like the top of the swimming pool, which was brilliant. So you'd see like you'd be in the deep end, like coming up for a trap door, <laughs> amazing. And so I did that, and then and then I went off to Sheffield Crucible to do South Pacific, which is where I went, met my husband. So we met doing a job. You you were, you were both acting. In the it, same was play. it was love at first. It was love at first. We were both, yeah, we were both doing uh, oh, the same musical. 
Um, and that's how we met each other. And then when I come back from that, Mark and I went off and we, we did a cruise for a bit. We worked for Disney on the cruise really line for what? a little bit working as performers i'm not allowed to say what roles i play i was i'll be shot through the face by this. no i know you, I, honestly I, uh, I, yeah, I know because my wife actually she got a job uh for the college program in disney uh disney right. world so she knows yeah so i can say that i was a very good friend of the fairy godmothers we knew each other very well okay you believe it at that no i'm a huge fan of disney i don't want to get in any trouble no i'm allowed to say that <laughs> we were very good friends preserving the magic they they know how to preserve the magic and and so we we did have a good we had a good time it was a strange environment the ship life wasn't really for us but you know because it's a you um you, know, you do feel a bit you get cabin fever a little bit sometimes did you watch um have you watched the a show called below deck no oh so obviously during lockdown everyone you know when tiger king was done everyone was like uh, what do you watch now what do you watch now um, there was uh, there's a show on Amazon um, which basically is really old actually, uh, but it it came to the forefront. I don't know why it came to the forefront between uh-huh. now and I think everyone was just after stuff to watch. Just stuff, I, yeah. I hadn't seen before, but it's a show called Below Deck, which is about a crew of people who work on private, like spectacular private yachts. Oh wow! And it's all about the charter season, and it's it's very much like a. Like a group of people, it's all about them. There's guests mm. that come in every week that change. It's a bit about the guests, but um, yeah, it's very. Right. W- watch it. it you'll you'll probably be. have really bad flashbacks. It's like, oh my god, that's what we did. I know. Oh god, yeah, it was. But I mean, the shows were brilliant, and um, yeah, so we we had we had a nice time on that. We saved some money. That was it. Was good. And then eventually we uh we got to Mamma Mia. So like we uh. We did. We got. We got. We did a full circle. We did lots of other things in between. Again, I got back. I did a show called La Carver, which was a brand new show, um, and then a show based on the film Peggy Sue Got Married, um, which they did the stage adaptation of, which I was lucky to be a part of. That was brand new. And then I did Billy Elliot. Oh, amazing! Um, after, I, after after I'd had my daughter, I was like, I need to get back. I need to get back. So she was about two and a half, three when I went into Billy Elliot, and then from Billy Elliot, I literally went straight into Mamma Mia. And at that time, it was so good to go from a show that was really male heavy, um, where it was kind of minors and police, and then go into a show that was like it celebrated women and it celebrated women of my age. Um, and I could I could relate to that so much more. And it, I was just in an amazing world of platform boots and sparkle and <laughs> glitter and all things. You know, it was just it was just the new there. It was amazing. It was amazing. Sounds heavenly. And that was in uh, London's West End. Yes, um, I, it was in London and I did it for two years. Two, I say two years with the show. I loved it that much. <laughs> and who um, who did you play again? Did you play different roles? Or? I did play different roles. Um, I was brought in to play a, the most unglamorous role in the show, which was the Greek granny. Um, and, and I covered the three main women. So, oh, right. so the Meryl Streep role, the uh, Christine... Baranski role and the Julie Waters role if you know the films but yeah Donna Tanya and Rosie so that I covered all three of those women and at points played all three of those women so oh my god amazing yeah like dream job dream job I, I think dream job because the women they're all so they're so much fun and I think it it, it I could really relate to them because I've you know even even though I'm 48 I often get, oh, you don't look 48, you know, you, you don't, don't look that old or, um, 
and I think it's because I have I just have a youthful spirit I can't I can't help it you know I've never really grown up I'm always a little bit Peter Pan in that respect and so the good thing about Mamma Mia was that these women of an age you know were, were rekindling their you know their younger years and talking about the boyfriends and the and the songs that they had and the gigs they did at pubs and clubs and restaurants and things so I I just felt like it was me. I just, I could, I could completely relate to them as characters. That's so cool, though, to do a job that you feel very much at home. Oh, it was just, it was absolutely, absolutely heavenly. Um, and it, and it just led on to me being part of the second film, which was like, and that was now that we're talking dream job. That was the dream job. How did that come about? Um, I went through the audition process. Um, I was contact. They they needed some more characterful dancers, some that were a little bit older, because um, they had lots of young, you know, young. I call them kids, but they're really not some young people between kind of twenty one, twenty five, dancer wise. And they they needed some older characters. And um, Anthony Van Last, who choreographed the um, the film, um, has a very very close assistant who he's worked with for years and years and years. And we've been very good friends since Starlight days, which is, you know, and it just shows you it does it does pay off to be nice on the way up. Um, and, and and she rang me and she said, look, you know, we we need older dancers. Are you around? And at the time, I kind of hung up my performing shoes a little bit. I'd done Mamma Mia. I was happy to to take some time out from performing. So I was just really choreographing and focusing on my directing and stuff. And and I said, well, yeah, I would be happy to come out of retirement to come and do a, a do a film. Yeah, that'd be great. And so I, she said, you, we've all got to go through the process. So I went in and I auditioned with everybody else. We we um, we had a quite an intense um, audition process, but it was so much fun. I've never had so much fun doing an audition. And lo and behold, there I was with my flights in hand to Croatia, for two and a half weeks to go and film. Um, and it was just idyllic. We spent our days on boats out in the middle of the ocean, filming Dancing Queen. <laughs> um, you know, and I mean, yeah, that does sound like the dream. Oh, it was just that the weather was heavenly. I mean, we worked, you know, we worked hard, but there was days where it was like you've got no filming today, so we'd go and do a trip somewhere, or you know, spend the day at the beach. And it was just, oh, it was, it was really was a dream job. And then when we got back to the UK, we did another six or seven weeks filming at Pinewood. So they built the they built the taverna and the set and everything inside the studios at Pinewood. And we came back and obviously then it was like October in, in the UK. So we've all been in like flouncy little skirts and, you know, frilly tops and things. So we're freezing our bits off, you know. <laughs> All in dressing I mean, that very That sounds very filmed. Oh, really? Like, so filmed. Yeah, it was a fabulous job, and then suddenly we were back. But then again, it was still brilliant. I mean, they made a they made a mock up of the the church where they have the babies christened. Like they used the same church in the first film and the second film, but they they built the interior of the church in the studio. Um, and there was a day where there was a pinch me day where I, I could not believe where I was. So I'm sitting there as part of the congregation. Um, so doing a little bit of extra work, I suppose, on top of my dancing duties. And I'm sat there and I look across and it's Meryl Streep. And I look this way. I've got Julie Waters, Christine Baranski, Cher, <laughs> Pierce Brosnan, <laughs> Skellen, uh, you know, Colin. You just kind of look around you and you go, 
if someone was to drop a bomb in this place right now, that would be like most of the A-listers off, <laughs> off the planet. You know, it's just, yeah. like I, I couldn't believe my luck looking around this place at all these incredible, um, incredible people in one room, in one small space. Um, it shows, it shows, yeah. you know, hard work. Yeah, you know, it was a like you, moment. You, you, you deserved that kind of role. Oh, you know, not, it's not it, like you've just been in the in the shadows and someone's just going, ah, give you a chance. Yeah. You've done the graph. I've done the graph. I've done the graph. And yeah, and then and then last year I had a I had a good year as well actually. I went to, I did um the Nativity and I don't know if you've seen any of the Nativity films. They're Oh, I, I actually haven't, but I know I know of them. Yeah. And so they're created by a wonderful director, writer, screenwriter by uh, called Debbie Isaac. And she these films are hilarious and heartwarming and um and just brilliant like the proper christmas tonic and then last year i was lucky enough to go and perform in her live stage show of the of the of the films so yeah it seems film and theater are being very close for me right now so which is great which is really good you know i'm not i'm definitely not grumbling you know i can i can do that <laughs> with obviously everything you've done you you kind of put up very briefly earlier about obviously you hung up your shoes and stuff so like what yeah from from a behind the scenes point of view um like obviously you choreograph as well yeah and which is kind of how we met really. yeah yeah um so you choreographed well i let you you explain what we did it was different so yeah so it was so how um you and i come to come together was because uh steve elias who was a choreographer for dance in town who again is a very good friend of mine we met doing met both as performers um on a job called la carver which was a big west end show brand new show um steve said he needed some really good assistance to come on board for a project he was doing and he was very cagey about it all and it was all cloak and dagger because nobody knew what was quite happening. And then he kind of sprung this thing <laughs> on us that we were, I didn't, I didn't quite know what it was going to be. It was my first experience of this kind of work, way of working where we were going to be working on a documentary. Um, but also having time to choreograph real people in real time in a one take shot, like a flash mob type style. Um, for BBC Two, and you suddenly go, okay, right, that's this is, this is good. Um, it was the I reckon that was the hardest job I've ever done. I think in my life, really. Yeah, I, I would. Say I mean, it was tough. It was really tough, and I think it was because we just didn't stop. If we weren't on set with you guys filming and stuff, we were rehearsing. You know, we were rehearsing the stuff. Steve was teaching us the stuff that we then had to go out into the community as his three little minions, little assistants, Team Elias, we used to call ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> and we'd like doddle off into the, you know, we were just bobbing around all over the place trying to like teach the people in the hairdressers how to cha 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 and the people you know it just it was insane yeah it was insane i mean basically it was a show where loads of local it was basically to mm. it was all about yorkshire and local people who hadn't danced before who were big parts of the community came together to do one as you say continuous mm. like five six minute dance and then at the end of a series we all met in yorkshire we all met in york town center and everyone from all different parts from skipton yeah. from barnsley from huddersfield they all came together and we did like a seven and a half minute long dance yeah which you guys choreographed yeah. for everyone and there was there was people from every walk of life really there was there was thousands of people thousands. there was kids from a dance school there was uh, a group of um guys with mental health yeah. issues there was 
um, uh, like a, a yeah. school. There was a rugby club. A like, rugby it was club. It's still the, the dance is still on YouTube. Like it's called BBC Dancing Town. People should look up. They're amazing. Yeah, what you guys like, achieve. It was it was it was a tough tough job. But like I I've never got so much personally out of a job than that though. You know I I came away so um so uplifted and with so much uh what, what is it so much joy for for normal everyday people that get stuck into a project and and make it work and and pull together as a community it was a it was it really restored my faith i think in in humanity it definitely did that it was, say, yeah. yeah people from all walks of life come together and want something really special and really unique for their community was was brilliant and yet still with the documentary side telling the stories of how their you know their town became the way it was and and what they lived through and and shared their experiences but yeah that whole sense of community definitely definitely gave me I was so uplifted when I when I exhausted but like with a massive smile on my face it was it was incredible yeah it was it was a fun thing to do I yeah it. and it was in the hot summer as well and it was really nice and like yeah. warm. uh it was glorious except in had a great fun rained constantly but it was fine oh yeah we had that rain and oh, i did have to pin two drunks up against the wall yeah, that, that, was, was, that was a tough day yeah. yeah um but it was great like it was just the whole thing was amazing it was incredible hard work but incredible yeah, I mean that's basically telly, though, isn't it? And yeah. theatre and film. Yeah. You work, you work ridiculously hard, but then you see the yeah. product and you're like, do you know what? Yeah. I'm proud of that. Yeah. So with your well, obviously choreographing and obviously you've worked in the theatre for years and stuff, what for someone who doesn't, who's never known about it, what what is it like in the wings? What is it like behind the scenes in a the theatre? Because you know, you guys, you guys are in a, you know, I mean, it's it's a place we use a lot now, but you're in a bubble. Um, yeah. You um. You obviously perform well, in the West End. It's eight eight times a week. Eight shows a week, yeah, yeah. Eight shows a week, and Monday's your day off. So Sunday nights, your Friday night. Yeah, um, is that right? Well, I'm well, some some shows, some shows I do the traditional Sunday off. Um, some shows are now performing on a Sunday, and you get Monday or Tuesday off. So it's, it, right, it okay. depends what show you're on, really. And so what's it like? What is it what, oh. like? Is you obviously from our point of view, from the viewer, you see. You see, let's say, 70 people come and perform on stage, and that's it. But that, yeah. that like, behind the scenes must be, like, oh, must be massive behind a, behind a theatre stage. Well, uh, randomly, some places, some theatres have luxury space, and, and, you know, but, and so you go backstage, and there's a little bit of space for, you know, the set to live, and, and you know. But in, I must say, in most theatres, especially in theatres in the West End or older theatres, they're tiny backstage. So you are um, you're very much like squeezing past people because they've got to get a massive you know sixteen foot piece of set into the into the wing to then get on or or there's people that have got to make a really quick so even backstage is choreographed to a degree um, obviously they've got quick change spaces um, there, there's wig people running around there's there's you know dressers and wardrobe staff and crew, stage crew and stage management and there's there's always a big props table and things to, you know, things that can, it's a dangerous place actually backstage. It can be quite, quite frightening because it's, there's a lot going on. Um, and so as much as we're choreographed on stage and you see all the glamorous bit backstage is, 
sometimes it's it's bad organized bedlam <laughs> organized chaos um yeah, sounds it. yeah because there's so many of us and you know you 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 just have to make it work you have to respect everybody's space and and um, give priority to the people that have probably got to get on stage first whether that be someone from the crew that's got to set a piece of scenery or um or whether that's someone that's got to do a safety check before you step on a revolve or a you know, or there's going to be a piece of set flying in. That so you ha- you have to be very aware of everybody's role within the theatre. But actually, backstage is relatively small. You know, you yeah, you it's tight. It could be really tight. You have to you have to be very much in love with everybody. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, surely you, you. I mean, there's always the the getting on and the not getting on with people. Yeah. You're not going to. In a, in a crew of 150 or whatever, you're not going to like everyone. That's no, standard. No. But um, but you must you must be in such close proximity with each other. You just must have to grin and bear it. Yeah, you do. You just have to go that we're all here for a purpose. We're all part of this, you know, this machine that's going to get this show up and running. From the people that are out there singing the the leading, you know, the leading lady, you know, and, and right across the board, we're we, we're all cogs in the same clock as such and it's you know to make it tick over we all we all have to work together so yeah so you do have to you have to respect everybody whether whether you like them or not is your personal choice but you know you just have to respect everybody's role i think is it is it fun like is it is being backstage is there a buzz is there kind of yeah there is do you you know actually what's something i did want to know do you do you feel from backstage and stuff you're like oh tonight's a good one yeah the crowd are really oh you 100 percent can you can really feel that you know if if there's an audience and they're quite vocal and you can hear them kind of the hubbub out the front um you know it does it does get it does rev you up it does make you excited because you go oh this sounds like it's going to be a good bunch in or something equally you know you get a hen night in who are being absolutely you know ragingly abusive sorry no disrespect to hen (laughs) but you know you know they might be i've had a few sherbets before they've come in you know and they've they've uh yeah so they're, they're a little bit so you, we used to get it on Mamma Mia obviously Mamma Mia was such a feel-good show you know you'd get um sometimes you'd get a lot of head, hen and stag parties in and but even then though they'd be so they'd be so much fun they'd sing along to the songs and they dance in the aisles and you know so yeah but you it's you nice to get that that but it'd be different every night like there's there's obviously the part that you know, you've got your lines, you've got your performances, you've got your songs, mm. you've got your routines. But to have like a group like that in, and it's it's not frowned upon, is it, to do a bit of ad lib? It's kind of like with with the crowd. Yeah, I well, yes, it kind of is in a way because because I was you it, there's a there's a saying in theatre called breaking the fourth wall. So the fourth wall being the wall of where the theater, where the audience can see you, the front the front of the stage, um, and obviously they want to. They want a voyeur. They want to watch what's happening in that community. And as soon as you break character and go, "Isn't that right, Charlie? You're in the front row. You've you've destroyed the okay. you've destroyed the um, magic and the you know they want to feel like they're in a cinema watching, them, but they can't speak to the performers. There's some you know obviously there's some things that you can do that like pantomime and you know and I'm sure that and there's when you go and see a comedian or whatever um, you know and it has been known in the past for certain people to break that fourth wall um but and and some shows can get away with it there's some shows like the producers um which has that kind of 
feel that you can just reach out to the audience and talk to them. But most things, no, it's it's you know you are you quite on a strict strict timing with the with the script and stuff in a way because a lot of things are timed. You know, a musical number might be timed off of one one word in your script, or um, it might be a, a lighting cue which if happens late, it would mean that the stage is in darkness when someone's got a set a piece of set and. So, so everything's timed quite, quite strategically. But that's not to say, as a as the performer, you can't um, go on with a slightly different. You know, you, you within reason, you can kind of jazz it up a bit. But you know, you can't. You, but yeah, you you are paid to kind of do the same show, eight shows a week in the structure. But you can, you know, you can still go on with a bit of extra flair. And you say, audience, if the audience is buzzing like that, you can't help it. It lifts it, lifts you. But you have. Disciplined enough to hold it onto it. Yeah, and that's it. And I'll say I'll always remember because I first time I ever went to go and see uh, Rocky Horror Show. Yeah. I uh, I had no idea <laughs> of the the audience participation that is involved. Yeah. And when people say a word. Oh yeah, you put the paper on your head. And, oh, and yeah. I had no idea. And the lady sitting next to me uh, was like head to toe <laughs> dressed as if you know she yep. was part of the show. And I think, like, the narrator... Yeah. Is he called a yeah. narrator? Is that what, like, the... Um, uh, what's his name? He was in uh, Crystal Maze. His his role, um, who created it, his role, wasn't it, originally? Richard O'Brien. He played that role originally, didn't he? I think he played Igor, the, the, oh, the right. hunchback in the film, from what I remember. Oh, right. But he's the creator of it. It's his creation. I remember when they came out and, like, said a line... And the whole crowd like shouted back, and I was, I literally was like, "What's going on?" And like my wife was like, "No, that happened." Yeah. And I was like, "Okay, great. This is I'm in, <laughs> I'm in, I'm in now. I know what's going on." And yeah. and there was there was these few moments between the crowds, like someone would shout something and they would respond to it. Yeah. But it was all very. You could tell what they were expecting. Yeah. And I thought that was amazing. Yeah, because like, Rocky Horror Show is very cult, so it, it has yeah. it has that cult following, and and it, it is one of the exceptions to the to the to the breaking the fourth wall. Yeah, I love it. It was brilliant. It's yeah. amazing. Just to, it, I didn't know that it was so strategically timed. Mm. Like obviously, you know it is. You know that the runtime of a show is an hour and nineteen minutes or whatever. Yeah. Um, but with lighting cues and all that, that's fascinating. Yeah. It's so. Oh yeah, it literally can be a word, and if that word's you know if that word's missing, I mean you know obviously once you people are in a show in a run, they kind of get into their bodies what's where the cues should happen, and obviously as an actor, if you did happen to miss that word, they would know the show enough to to go, so people wouldn't kind of hold you to it. Oh, you didn't say that word, you know they would they they would work around it. So we're we're all quite we're all quite flexible, but. Yeah, things sometimes things are cued off of a even like a move, a dance mover. If that's like the start of a dance break or something, it could be one move that sets off the whole the whole atmosphere change. So you've got to yeah, you have to be quite quite disciplined. And when you say like what you said like the four four, mm. like for you as a, as an actor, like when you're standing on stage, mm. what what do you see? <laughs> you can you can see the audience. I think most people think that you can't see them. Um, there's certain points in the show if you if you if they're using something called like blinders, which are the big lights that co- will come up and like hit the stage. Sometimes you can't see past the end of your nose because that they ble- they blind you so much you can't actually see out. But in the main, in a general lighting states and stuff, you can see. I mean, you can't 
you can't literally see like everyone's facial expressions or you know what color jacket they're wearing but you can see people and you can see if they're reacting and you can see if you know if they're having a nice time or if they're chatting to their mates or they're on their phone or whatever you know you can see it I think people do think that oh well they can't see me it doesn't matter if I just like you know just gonna send that whatsapp to me mate (laughs) I think they can you know we can see we know what you're doing is it is it distracting like do you if you saw I'm gonna go for a a worst example here but if you saw two people having an argument like not uh, allowed like it wasn't disruptive visually it was disruptive but like it didn't you couldn't hear it if you yeah. noticed it like do you does that put you off do you do you think when you're on stage and you're looking at that yeah it, it, it can do um and there has been occasions where you know something just just can catch your eye and for a, for a split second there you kind of you kind of think oh god that just pulled me out of the moment for for a minute that i i caught that but i think in the main most people are so focused on in on the piece and what they're doing that um, you 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 catch it out the corner of your eye, but it doesn't disturb the flow of what what you're doing. You just kind of see it, and we'll come off stage and go, "God, did you see that? Them two arguing yeah. in the in the third row? They were right at it." But it, it's it's more. Um, I mean, the people have had sex in the theatre before, you know. Oh no. yeah, yeah. On Les Miserables, there was two people bonking in in the in one of the boxes, apparently. Yeah, and you could see it. Apparently, well, apparently they could see. <laughs> they could I see mean, the, the toing and throwing. I mean, it's pushing it, isn't it? Really? I mean, it's like, I mean, go on your phone and send a WhatsApp, but really, make it out. Yeah. Oh no, that's, it's that's I mean, a bit. That's a bit much, isn't it? It's a bit much. Yeah. Um. Yeah. There's a time and a place. Come on. Like. <laughs> Choose your moments, right? Exactly. Um. Yeah, and I we did. I did once have a someone having a full on argument i was in liverpool the liverpool empire doing fame the musical and um, it was my big 11 o'clock number i was singing my little heart out stood at the front of the stage in the blinders where i couldn't see anybody and suddenly i could hear yeah fucking this and you fucking that but from the top of the from the top of the auditorium and I, I mean, that's going to throw you, you know. Who do you fucking think you are? They've obviously had a few drinks. They'd come to see we were doing like a later show. Oh, wow. They were like, <laughs> yeah, they were cursing this, cursing the. What do you, what do, you do? Do you just have to carry on? You just have to carry on because there's obviously there's another, you know, a thousand people that have paid whatever money for a ticket, you know, somewhere between kind of 25 and 100, if in the West End, 100 and something pounds for a ticket. You know, and and you have to keep going. I mean, those people were swiftly kind of bagged and taken out. But um, yeah, you have to you have to keep going. <laughs> I just I I love it. Like I love going, yeah. and it's that moment of it's a night out. And um, also, so inside information only because I like to go. Um, go it's where where would you sit? Where would I sit? Yeah. Oh right, okay. Like would Ooh. you sit? Because obviously the stalls at the front, yeah, you get a good view. They're a bit more expensive, yeah. but you know, if you're going to go, if you want to see a show, you go. It's not like something you do all the time. No, no, and I think, I mean, I think the stalls are great in most in most theatres. Um, the the best seats to get are seats called the house seats, which not not a lot of people will know about because they're normally reserved for people that work on the show the, the guests and things like that but they do release the house seats to the public otherwise they wouldn't they wouldn't you know be able to kind of fill the house but um yeah and they're normally mid midway back in the stalls right in the center um so i don't know row maybe 
H or J or something like that. Um, and they're, they're called the house seats. They're normally the most expensive, but that is normally the prime place. That's, that will be where, when they're setting up the show, the sound engineer will sit to fix the sound. That's where the director will sit to fix the, the blocking and making sure everyone can be seen. It's where the choreographer will sit to check that all the patterns are straight. And the, so those seats are the seats that the creatives will sit in when they're, when they are putting on the show. Um, so if you can get one of them, you know you're going to be getting the vision and the sound and the you know, and the audio that that you'll be getting the optimum optimum kind middle. of version. Middle of the stalls. Middle of the stalls, row J, I'm on it. That's where I'm going. <laughs> if they're not available, I'm going a different night from now on. Yeah, absolutely. Middle of the stalls. And it would not I don't think it'd be fair, if I'm honest, to get you on and not because it's the point of recording this, um, we're still well, we're going into a further lockdown. It would be great just to get your, not so much an opinion, because I don't want mm. to go political and put you on the spot, but more, mm. what 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 has this done, what has coronavirus done to the theatre world at the moment? From oh. an outsider, it, of a TV point of view, it, it ruined us for a p- small period, but I think mm. you guys, tragic. Yeah, I think it's been, it's been particularly tough for the big shows. Um, I, you know, and there's loads of people out there. I'm really taking my hat off to them that are setting up pop-up theatres in like beer gardens and and doing stuff like that, just so that they can keep some creativity and and get give some actors, you know, and stage management and crew and stuff just some some work through this time. But in the main, you know, that to open the big theatres is just not financially viable. I mean, it's not as easy as. I think Weber said it as switching on a light. You just can't get things up and running. There's planning, there's press, there's, you know, there's so many elements that go into, they, they don't, they, they kind of don't think, I feel like the government haven't really thought about that, that side of it. Um, and also the other thing is that for every pound spent in a theatre, there's seven pounds spent outside the theatre. So in a pub, in a bar, in a hotel, in a, you know, in going to Hamleys to buy a toy before they come in to see Charlie and the Chocolate Factory or whatever. You know, you know, there's it's it's massively affected London, but also you know the regional theatres that rely on like their Christmas show to bump up their earnings for the year, and it's just put so many people out of work. And 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 there's been a lot of people that have fallen through the crack as well because some of our work is. Not not necessarily performers, but um, in other kind of aspects of theatre, you sometimes are classed as paye. So if you're maybe working on the crew or the lighting, or you you're paye, um, but yet some of your work is also as self-employed. So because you can't, because you never the twain shall meet, they've slipped through the crack and end up with nothing. Um, you know, I know I know people that are brilliant performers that are at the moment picking tomatoes for for Sainsbury's or for, for Waitrose and, and 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 as much as that job needs to happen and there's you know absolutely nothing wrong with that job you know it's brilliant and we all have to muck in in these times they should be playing the leading lady in in a show right now and it is so it's a bit heartbreaking when you see talent not being utilized right now do, do you think it's it's possible to do it financially and every other aspect really but do you think it is possible to do it social distancing not on stage obviously because that's impossible yeah but for an audience do you think that if you um 
if you invited families or if you invited groups of up to six yeah. and you separated rows like i mean you'd cut you'd cut the ticket sales by i mean a third at least a third but yeah is is that even viable well think? i think i think that the uh, i mean the statistics or the the figures that have been kicked around are that the theaters need to have between 70 60 and 70% capacity to um to make any kind of profit um the i think the government guidelines at the moment because of the social distancing it means that most theaters would only have to be able to fill to like 30% capacity um so and that's a massive that's a massive amount uh, for you know and they, they've done this massive grant for the arts and you know it includes museums and uh, cultural spaces and, and stuff but you know as as yeah i don't think anyone's seen any of it they're like where is it where's the money you know where's where's it gone um i don't i don't think know it's fixable though i think i think you think the theater world will bounce back i think the theater world will bounce back i I, I think it will be a new way of working. I think we're all going to have to get used to a, a new way of working. Um, I think I think that possibly the big sh- it's the big shows that will that will struggle because they have such massive overheads. But you know, I think it, all the little things that people are doing, like just being, I say, being creative, doing stuff in beer gardens and and um, and and the outdoor theatres i mean obviously that's not viable through the winter months it's going to be more difficult through the winter months but you know as creatives we've got to get creative i think you know and find some new ways to do stuff but yeah it's it, i think it's the, i would say the end of what we know as theatre right now i'm sure it will bounce back at some point but it's very uncertain and very challenging and i know there's a lot of people um that work on various shows that are really pushing, trying to push the message, you know, let, let us come back, let us let us have temperatures at the doors and fogging of the theatres and, um, and as you say, booking, booking um, bubbles of like six people, you know, if you come in a bubble, that's so they can fill more, more, um, more seats. There just doesn't seem to be a one size fits all kind of um, solution to it at the moment. I mean, I don't know, like from, I'm just saying it as a spectator, but there's got to be a way to bring it back. There's, like, um, yeah, there's got to be. I mean, I think the, the the original problem was that they were saying because of the um, the aerosols from singing, they were worried about the transmission of that, you know, spitting over the front two rows, <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, which can't be attractive. And you really don't want purse mess up. I know, I mean, that would just literally kill the whole thing, but... It's so difficult no, because it's such a juggling act between wanting what we want everyone to be safe, we want everyone to be, you know, but at the same time, there's there's industries that, and it's especially, I mean, obviously it's close to my heart, so theatre is on absolutely on its knees, going, please help us make this viable, make give give us some viable options. I know there are one, there's one producer that's. That said that she just to get some creativity back in the theatres, you know, she's going to open socially distanced. Um, but she, you know, she's going to be running at a loss. You know, they're going to be running at a massive loss. But she just said, "I just want, I want, I, I, I need." You know, there's a need in people's souls for things to be open and and for some normality to, to just to, to uplift everybody again. I think people we want to be together people we're we're sociable creatures we we want to be together we want to have joint joint experiences like theater and like cinema and you know yeah hopefully hopefully yeah. not too long oh i know um, 
So I end my podcast the same with every person. So uh, Dawn, why do you love your job? I love my job because nothing makes you feel more uplifted than live theatre. Um, the instant reaction of the crowd. There's just nothing like it. There's no other buzz like it. And that's why I love my job. And I, you know what? And I love the people, love the theatre community. They're strong. They're helpful. They're, they're incredible human beings. And I'm very proud to be part of it. Brilliant. Thank you so much for your time. That was great. That was so amazing just to hear how it works. It's from a viewer just to sit and watch. It's amazing. But to hear all the ins and outs of it is amazing. <laughs> um, so thank you so much for your No, time. you're so welcome. Thank you for asking me. I'm thrilled. I honestly could have spoke to Dorf hours and hours and hours. As a musical theatre fan, and as I said at the beginning, someone who loves to go down the West End, I just wanted to find out every information I possibly can, find out every bit of gossip. It was just brilliant. It was just so much fun to talk to Dawn. And like everyone else, I just can't wait to get back. And hopefully theatres can open soon. And we can go and have a laugh and just watch some musical theatre. So it's a great night out. So hopefully we can all get back to doing that soon. So we are back next week. Uh, we are with Dickie Day. Dickie is a multi-camera studio director. Predominantly he works in sport. He's been all around the world with football, with all kinds of sport. He's just His stories about the game are so much fun. And just to find out exactly what, what it's like on match day and what it's like behind the scenes at a stadium is just great to talk to Dickie so please don't forget to subscribe or follow us on Instagram at Kruberpod to get all the information and previews and obviously get all the links to all of the podcasts that have released so far as well if you do have any questions or want to get in touch drop us an email crewthepod at gmail.com thanks to everyone who has listened so far um, I can't believe we're six episodes in so thank you so much to everyone don't forget to subscribe and give us a follow on Instagram and I'll see you all next week